want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be uh, in Ephesians 5 for uh, a lot of today. Um, but And it's going to take me a minute to get there, so just get to Ephesians 5 and then hold your place. So we're going to talk about worship as a community discipline. Because of that, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about really uh, the singing aspect of worship. Now, I know that some of you immediately are going to object and you're going to say, now, wait a minute, worship is not only singing, you're right, uh, you're so right, and I want to talk about that, but I do want to spend some time on uh, the singing element of worship, and in particular, why do we sing when we come together? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought how strange it might be uh, for somebody that had no idea what happened here if they were to, to come into these doors and then all of a sudden somebody uh, were, was to get up on the stage and we were to all stand and start singing? You ever been to class where the professor starts singing and in unison everybody joins along and raises their hands and some become emotional and some sit down and some begin to pray, right? Does that ever happen in class? Well, maybe in like calculus that happens, but... It doesn't, it did for me. Calculus got really spiritual after the first few weeks because I was in trouble. So. But we, uh, it, we kind of take it as normal, and especially those of you, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, it's just kind of normal. You expect it. Look, if you've been around Fredonia Hill long, you know that we sing at everything. We're going to sing in our life groups. We're going to sing before we eat sometimes. I don't know. We don't really do. But uh, we're going to sing before Sunday school. We're going to sing uh, before church. Uh, we kind of have this joke with Blake, who's our, our worship pastor. Anywhere there are two or more gathered, Blake's guitar is in their midst. And uh, so we're always, always, always singing. And uh, why do we do that? I was uh, listening to uh, a guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Matt Carter. He's a pastor uh, in Austin, a church called Austin Stone. And he was saying that uh, he found out uh, that uh, there was a group from, uh, I believe it was the UK, that uh, a group of atheists, that they were studying uh, large churches. And they came, uh, he said that somehow they stumbled across uh, Austin Stone and they came. And he said, I didn't know they were there. But one of the things that they wrote about uh, was how uh, they could not wrap their minds around what happened when the body of Christ began to sing. Obviously, they didn't use those words, the body of Christ, but they, they were so dumbfounded by the power, this, what they could observe as the power and the connection that people had when they began to, uh, when they began to sing. These, these atheist guys, they couldn't, couldn't understand it. It's something that we do, and it's something that is powerful, and uh, I want to talk today about why uh, worship, particularly why we sing, is a discipline and why it's important. But first, we've got to establish what worship is in general. We can't define and talk about worship as singing unless we first define what worship is in general. Do you, anybody know, well, anybody know the first time that the word worship occurs in the Scripture? I didn't know this. I, I looked this up uh, this week. I had a little advance notice on what we were going to talk about, so I looked it up. Nobody got that joke. Okay. Uh, so the first time, still don't get it. It's all right. I'll give you a minute. Uh, first time is in Genesis chapter 22. And it's the story with where Abraham is going to go and he's going to sacrifice his son. And he, they go and they, uh, they're, they're at the point. Remember, he brings some servants along uh, to carry uh, the supplies. And he, he tells them, he says, you stay here. The boyer and I are going to go up to the mountain. We're going to worship 
and we're going to return. That's the very first time that that word uh, occurs in the scriptures, and it's the Hebrew word shaha, and it means this. It means to bow down or to depress yourself uh, to the floor. It means to, so to take a posture of worship is to, is to bow down or to prostrate yourself onto the floor. So the first time we see that is as Abraham is being obedient to God and as he's taking Isaac up to uh, this point of sacrifice. I love that that's the first time, and I love that that's the, the, the definition. The definition of worship, you might think it has something to do with singing. You might think that worship has something uh, to, to do uh, with, uh, with something other than bowing down. I don't know what first enters your mind when you think of worship, but that is the definition. The essence of worship is submission. The very definition of worship is a position. It's to bow down or to depress yourself on the floor. So we read this. Uh, now, the word worship doesn't appear uh, until Genesis chapter 2, but the concept is all throughout the beginning. In fact, worship is found in Genesis 1 chapter 1. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. It's, it's a scripture that we teach extensively in discipleship school and that you've probably heard me talk about a bunch. But it says, in the beginning, God, next word, created and we stay there uh, for like two weeks in discipleship school because we, there's two things that get defined there. In the beginning, there's two things. There's God and then there's everything else which falls in the category of what is created. The essence of worship, it, it, when, it, when it talks about to bow down, it's the acknowledgement of the created when it comes to the creator. It's right position for us in front of the creator. To bow down is simply to submit. It's simply to recognize that I am not the most holy God. There is one and he is. And so to bow down is my natural position in front of uh, a holy, holy God. Worship is found in our, uh, in our uh, recognition of who God is and who we are because of who he is. So when we talk about worship in general and having a lifestyle of worship, what does that mean? You can worship in any area of your life, at any time of the day, and it doesn't mean you have to break out in song. To worship is to submit yourself to God. To worship is to bow down in reverence before the Lord, to submit to Him and walk under His Lordship in every area of your life. That is worship. So, why is worship a community discipline? Now, we're going to get to singing in just a minute. But why is worship a community discipline? Well, because it's very simple. The reason it's a community discipline and what that looks like is that looks like now instead of just you in a lifestyle of worship, for worship to be something that takes place in community is for us as a group of people to bow down and acknowledge the lordship of Jesus and to submit to him in every area of our lives together. So this is the essence of community worship. Think about that. It's where we get unity from. It's where we get joy and it's where we get peace with one another. We talked about it last week that we're to make every effort to maintain this bond and this unity uh, in, in peace. And the only way that we do that together is if we worship together. And I don't mean just sing here. We're, again, we're going to talk about that. But I mean if together we worship by acknowledging the lordship of Jesus in our midst, then incredible things can happen with us as a community. But it is a discipline. 
It is something that we must together strive for, to continue to not allow our opinions to become the God that we serve, to not allow our differences to become the God that we serve, but to keep the Lord exactly where he belongs, which is in the position of ruler over us. Does that make sense? So that's just an overview, just a definition of worship. How do we worship? We bow down. It's a position of the created in front of the creator. So now I want to talk about specifically about worship as it occurs um, in a community discipline in song. Again, we do this all of the time, and if you're new with us, this is a rare occurrence this summer where we will not be singing before I teach, uh, but we will, uh, we will normally be doing that, and we will do that in life group. Uh, but we sing all the time. So why do we do it? Well, the first thing, uh, it, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. You guys already there? I gave you advance warning. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 17. He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the what? Spirit. Now listen to these next words. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to read that again. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Isn't that interesting? I want to just point out a few things in this passage, but... First of all, the very first thing he says in verse, obviously verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but he asks us to be filled with something. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. So we have to know that that is the beginning momentum of what he's about to say for us to do in community. Now, isn't it interesting that the very next thing that Paul says, right after talking about being filled with the Spirit, he talks about community worship. So we have to immediately tie these two things together. There's a filling of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit and address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There is a deep connection between being filled with the Spirit, between walking in the Spirit, and what it looks like to worship as community. Now, if you've heard me teach on the filling of the Spirit before. I just will tell you very briefly without going into extensive teaching, I do believe that there's an absolute difference between the presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The difference being, when you become a believer, every ounce of the Holy Spirit is given to you. This is Scripture. This is, this is absolutely vitally important that you understand this, that the moment that you believe in Jesus, the moment that, you, that he becomes the Lord and Savior of your life is the moment where the old man dies and the new comes. And the power of God takes up residence in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you get every bit of him. 
God withholds nothing from you. He gives you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what Scripture teaches, is the seal of our salvation. You want to know if you're saved? Is the Spirit alive in you? That's the question. The Spirit is the seal of our salvation. Those who are not sons and daughters do not have the Holy Spirit living in them. Okay? So that's the first round. That's the first layer. Every one of us as believers in Jesus have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I do believe it is an entirely different thing to be filled with the Spirit. Scripture teaches over and over, uh, the question is asked to believers, and Paul urges us to, even speaking to Christians, to be filled with the Spirit. The difference is quite simple. It's just, if the Spirit is in you, then the Spirit is in you. But to be filled with the Spirit is to the, for the Holy Spirit to have all of you. There's a, quite a difference between him living in you and him having all of you. That's why Paul says, don't quench the Spirit, right? Because there is, a, there is an interaction between the Spirit of God and the will of man where we have to allow the Spirit to work in our lives. We have to allow the Spirit to have every ounce of our being. We must be filled with the Spirit. And so he says, this is a very conscious effort, he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's speaking to believers, He's speaking to believers as he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then in this filling of the Holy Spirit, and again, I don't mean just having the Holy Spirit. I mean I have this Holy Spirit having all of you. When that occurs, there's this very direct tie to then what it looks like to worship and address one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So I want to go through just a few things uh, and, and why those two are connected. But we have to immediately understand that this is a connection between being filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, we will create a moment. We will create some emotional moment. We will create some, uh, some extravaganza in order to try to attain a feeling of being filled with the Spirit. But it will, and it will have the appearance of godliness, but it will lack all the power uh, that is in it. And so being filled with the Spirit... And singing with one another uh, is the connection and where the, where the power actually is. So here's some things that happen as we practice the discipline of worship in community, as we walk in the Spirit. And, and it's cool that we talk about walking in the Spirit, too, because to, to walk in the Spirit, you have to be submitted to the Spirit. And what is worship? Right. You see, so to worship together in song and in community can only take place if we are all already worshiping in submission to the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is a, is a submission. To be filled with the Spirit, God doesn't say to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to do a song and a dance and, and, uh, and perform really well. To be filled with the Spirit, ask the Spirit to fill you. Give Him the territory of your heart and your life and you're filled with the Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit is to worship because it's acknowledgement and a submission to the Spirit of God. So as we worship by submitting to the Spirit of God, the overflow of that is that when we sing together full of the Spirit, we address one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That's why we sing. But, beloved, there is quite a difference between singing together full of the Spirit and singing just our favorite songs because we like our favorite song. One has the power of the Spirit. One can speak life, one can bring healing, one can bring unity, one can bring peace, and the other can make you tap your foot for a little while and then you forget about it 20 minutes later. We want to come together and sing because the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us and flowing 
uh, overflowing uh, through us. So here are the things that happen. Number one, when we come together and sing, when we practice worship in community, we're acknowledging God as God and we're encountering his presence. Have you ever experienced this? You know the difference between an emotional moment and the spirit of God being a tangible presence in a room as believers are singing. Have you ever experienced this? Where you're in, and I can I can think of a handful of times. Uh, one of those times, actually, in one of the smaller churches I've ever uh, ever been in, in Sundown, uh, Texas, where we came from. Well, kind of came from. We made a brief stop in Missouri, but really from West Texas. Um, anyway, but I can think of many times in this small church with the hymnal uh, open where the Spirit of God uh, was, was so thick, it was like a tangible person in the room. I can think of many times in that, in that environment. Lindsay and I were, very, were first, uh, we, we were fresh married, uh, but we can, we can talk about many times where uh, we absolutely encountered the presence of God because the people of God were together um, singing and it didn't matter what the song was it was just people of God submitted to God and the spirit uh, was was present so the first reason we do that is we're acknowledging God as God to worship and to sing and it's why it's important uh, that, that it's why you, if you talk to Blake about worship he will talk to you for hours about the importance of picking the right songs Blake goes over every word of every song because Blake wants it to be doctrinally sound because as we worship and as we exclaim to God who he is and who we are uh, because of who he is, we want that to be biblically uh, accurate because it's, a, it's us acknowledging God as God. And when we do that and when we submit to him, we encounter his presence. We, uh, in our university team meetings, we meet together as a group every week. And we kind of have to always remind ourselves, what is the goal for what happens in church and life group? What is the goal? What do we want to happen? The goal is for people to come into an encounter with the presence of God. That's what we want to happen. We know that nothing that is long-lasting, nothing's eternal, nothing that is eternal will happen unless somebody comes into the encounter with the presence of God. Have you ever encountered the presence of God? Have you ever encountered that great love that I'm talking about? The love that absolutely shatters all of your shame and all of your brokenness? Have you ever met that guy? Have you ever met God? If you haven't met God and you've been playing church, I'm telling you, you're missing out because he is wonderful. He is powerful, but at the same time, kind and gracious. He is phenomenal. He is the one that one look in his eyes, you know that you have been created for a purpose. And even though you have all of this baggage, you know that by a breath from him, that it all goes away, that he can forgive all of it in a moment and that he can bring restoration. That's the God I'm talking about. And if people aren't encountering that God, then we're just playing around and we need to quit. But our goal for everything are people coming into an encounter with God because I promise you, the broken are restored in his presence. Just read this book. Anybody that ever had an encounter with God walked away absolutely changed. And as we sing to God together, and as we acknowledge who he is rightfully together and submit to him, then his presence is there. He is in our midst. And it is a wonderful thing to encounter the presence of God. We talk about many times in, uh, when, when I'm working with somebody uh, that's had tough situations from their past or has encountered deep sin of their life. Um, 
what, what I try to coach them in, and, and many times I will catch people very fresh after a very difficult moment. Either they've gone back to some sin and some junk that they, just, that they thought they were free from, and I get them the next day. Or somebody breaks their heart, or, they, or somebody passes away. Something awful happens, I get them the next day. And you know that fresh off of difficult moments, that the pain of those moments can project you a certain distance. You ever, have, you ever had your heart broken? You'll make, you'll make changes in your life because of the pain. You'll go, man, I, that hurt or that guilt, or that shame of going back to sin, or, you know, it's like, man, I don't want to feel that anymore, and that pain will only push you so far, but anybody that's ever been broken or hurt before, and all their motivation has been in pain and brokenness, knows that it will only go so far, because there's a day where the guilt and the shame will subside, and that sin will again look just as appetizing as it did before, and the, the power of the guilt and the shame won't be enough to keep you from that place. That that brokenness, that pain, that rejection will only be extremely painful for so long and then it happens again. At some point, we've got to quit being people who are reactive and pushed by pain and hurt and shame. At some point, something's got to draw you. Something's got to get out front of you and draw you. And the only thing that can draw you forward in your life is the love of God. It's his presence is the only thing that is attractive enough to draw us continually into the depths of his presence. And so what we want to do is we want people to encounter God. It's the only thing that will draw them out of hurt and pain. Go to Psalm chapter 100. Listen to these words. Verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Listen to these words. Uh, Come into his presence with singing. That's one of the ways that we encounter the presence of God. Listen to this. Make joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. As we come into the presence of the Lord, we worship and we sing. Here's the second thing that happens as we uh, partake in the discipline of worshiping in community. We're being filled with the Spirit. Go back to Ephesians. Sorry, some of you just landed in Psalm 100. I thought I faintly heard someone say, I found it! (laughs) And then I changed it on you. I'm just kidding, but that would be really awesome if somebody did that. Somebody should, don't do that in church. Don't do that in church. Go visit some other church and then do it, but that'd be really funny. Can you imagine the expression on a pastor's face if in a, somebody, I got it! That'd be awesome. Don't do that in here or I'll kick you out. I'm just kidding. Okay, so the second thing that happens is that we're being filled with the Spirit. Have you, ever, have you ever come into a Sunday morning just walking in your flesh? Anybody, if you don't raise your hand, you're a liar, right? It's happened before, right? We come in and whatever's gone on in the week or whatever's happened that day, church is just kind of on the routine, and we're totally, totally, totally in our flesh. And you ever stood next to that person that's totally not in their flesh, and they're singing? And they're singing because their heart is captured by the presence of God and you're singing just because the words are on the screen. And then as you stand there longer and longer and you listen 
and voice after voice after voice that's raising their voice because they're encountering the presence of God overcomes your flesh. And then you begin to sing in the Spirit of God. You begin to be filled with the Spirit, not because you did anything, but because of people around you. The power of of worship in the Spirit was so significant that it brought you into an encounter with God. It's why we practice singing as a community discipline. It's why we worship together. It's why we get in this room and sing because some of you are in here and and you're broken and you're hurting. And the sound of the people of God lifting their voices to their Father breaks bondage. I can tell you again, I've, I mean, just, this is just personal experience. I, I can remember a day last fall where there were lots of things uh, that Lindsay and I were discussing, some hard things with family. And I remember being on the, and I got kinda, I'm just a creature of habit, I'm Baptist, and uh, so I sit in the same spot a lot. <laughs> you ever notice that? Okay. Uh, and I, so I sit in that front, that front row area. I love sitting there because a lot of you sit behind us and you guys sing, and I love that spot. <laughs> but my mind was, I, you know, was just totally full of this family stuff. And then we started to worship. And I, it didn't take long. I think it was at least halfway into the, the, the first song. It didn't take long before the, the singing, the worship being done in the Spirit brought me to this question. All right, are you going to stay here and feel bad for yourself anymore, or are you going to acknowledge God as God and worship? Okay, I'm going to worship. It's way better. And began to worship, and the, the, the junk that was on me just fell away. I was filled with the Spirit because I came into God's presence, not with singing, but you did. You came into God's presence with singing, and the power that occurs in that moment brought life to my weary soul. And number three, obviously this is much easier to understand after we've said that. But not only are we being filled with the Spirit, but we're pouring the Spirit out on one another. What does he say in, in the, uh, the 18th verse there, I believe? No, sorry, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He says, addressing who? Addressing one another. So worship occurs, we submit to God, and, and we're filled with the Spirit. And then part of singing is addressing one another. You were addressing me. Now, it wasn't directly. Nathan didn't come up and say, la, 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 la. You know, he didn't like sing in my face, right? Right? That would have been awkward. I would not have been filled with the Spirit if you did that, right? I would have been filled with the flea and get out of here. <laughs> but, but we're addressing one another as we submit to God as we, and as we sing, we're addressing one another. So here's the deal. Think about this. You're going to go into the, into the uh, worship center in just a moment, and Blake's going to lead us in worship, and you might not necessarily feel like singing. You might not, nece- you might not just be feeling it that morning, but I want to tell you that you're addressing one another as we sing. That's why it's a discipline, because it's not a selfish act. Have you ever thought about worship that way? Worship is totally not selfish. Worship is about the person next to you. Worship is about the body of Christ. When we come in together and we sing as a discipline of community, we're addressing one another. And as Paul says in the fourth chapter, we're building one another up in love. What greater way to build one another up than singing to God the truth about who he is and reminding one another, hey, this is the God we serve. This is the truth about who he is. What about the song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? 
Could you be more theologically correct? No. We don't have to come up with fancy words. We're just singing the truth of God back to God. Meanwhile, addressing one another with the truth of God and building one another up in love. Worship is not about you. But how entrenched is the Western church in a fight over selfish worship? You've seen it. We've all seen it. And it is something that creeps up. We, got, we have to guard deeply against it here. Though I don't believe that that happens here, I believe it's a tendency of our flesh. I would be lying to you if I said, there's never been a time when I came in on Sunday morning when, man, I wish Blake wouldn't play that song and play the one I like. It happens. It happens and it creeps up on us quickly. And I believe that the enemy has entrenched himself in the Western church because he's made worship about us. But what would happen if worship was about the person next to you? You wouldn't be whining about the song, you know? Thank you, Sam. You're awake. I can always count on Sam. You know my favorite Sam story? I'm going to tell you my favorite Sam story. We had a, Sam was leading worship with us, and wow, what a gift. Uh, what a gift. And um, <laughs> we had no, something went haywire, and we had no sound or something. No, or lights went off. What happened? Sound. We had no sound. Blake went up to the mic, and it was like, like nothing. And Sam goes, well, who cares? We'll just sing louder. It was awesome. And it was like the, the, the flesh, all of us were in our flesh like, oh my goodness, it's not going to sound, you know, what are we going to do? And it's like, she said, who cares if we just sing louder? And the Spirit of the Lord broke in and we worshiped that morning like we never had. So that's my favorite Sam story. And it applies. It's a worship story. Hebrews chapter 10. I got stories about all of you. You know, I've really started to feel old lately when you guys come in and, uh, and chat and you're like, you already know this, don't you? Like, you want to tell me something and you're like, you already know this, do you? don't you? I remember saying that to my parents. Like, you know, in confession time and you knew, like you're telling them something, but they already know, you know? Nobody had that with their parents? Like, the mom, ha- you know, mom has six cents. It's like, where have you been? Like, you know, why are you asking me? <laughs> why are you asking? You, this is, it's scarier when I know you know and you're still asking, right? So, I, but I felt old lately. You guys are like, oh, I'm going to tell you something. You already know this, don't you? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Okay, Hebrews 10. So we're pouring the Spirit out on one another. Check out verse uh, 23. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Look at this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So what's the habit? The habit of some is to neglect one another. But he says, don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So where should we be in the fervency of meeting together if it's to increase as the day is drawing near? We should be like at the peak of it, right? Because there's no closer day than today. There's no closer moment than today. And he says, consider this. And and I want to ask you this question. Have you considered how to stir one another up to love and good works? What a great challenge. Consider, what what do I have to say to Lloyd to stir him to love and good works? 
Normally, the way we think is, what do I have to say to the Lord to get out of him what I need from him? That's typically what relationships look like. But what does it look like for me to stir Lloyd up? What do I have to say? What kind of life do I have to speak over him? What kind of song do I have to sing around him in order to stir him up to love and good works? How do I get the most out of Lloyd? Not for me, but how do I pull everything out of him that God has put in him? Uh, God taught me this lesson uh, back in sundown. And it was just one of those moments where God, you instructing somebody else as God is teaching you. But uh, we had this family that was living with us. Uh, and that, this marriage advice, unless it's the Spirit of the Lord, don't invite uh, entire family to come and live with you if you've been married just a few months. But we did it. And um, so this family moves in with us. And they had two uh, uh, boys. One was four um, and one was six. And the, uh, we were uh, sitting in the living room together. And they were, man, they were going bonkers. Right, just like the switch of crazy was on, and um, and I, I just it just the Lord just prompted this, and and I wanted to help the the older one, so I grabbed the six year old over, and I said, okay, here's your here's your challenge, because they were full of energy, and they a challenge and competition was good. I said, here's your challenge: you cannot say a word to your brother, you can't tell him to do anything, you can't say a word to him, but the challenge is you've got to get him calm and laying next to you and watching the watching the video. They had this little video but you can't tell him anything. So he's like, what? <laughs> how, do I, how do I do that? And I explained to him, the way you do that is you have to set an example. You have to draw him to a behavior based on what you're doing. He's watching you all the time. You have to show him. And so the little boy thought about it. He sat there on the couch next to me, and he was like, okay, I got this, you know. And so he kind of took this deep breath, and I was praising God because it was now half the bonkers was gone. And he took this deep breath, and he just quietly patted his brother on the back, and then laid down and started watching the video. But what was so cool is that he kept watching. And his brother kind of was still, the crazy thing was still going on, like behind him for a little bit. But then his brother started to notice, started to notice. And it wasn't long before his little brother just kind of laid down right next to him. And I'm telling you, you've never seen a bigger smile on a six-year-old's face. He looked, when his brother laid down next to him, he looked back at me so proud, gave me the biggest smile. And it was, that's, when that, that's when this hit me. All of a sudden, all of his action, all of his behavior was pointed at getting something out of his brother. He wanted to draw, and in this example, he wanted to draw goodness out of his brother. And that's the question. What if, your, what if your actions and what if your, what if your behavior, what if you took second place and the question became, how do I stir somebody else to love and good works? What would, what would have to change in my thought life about this person to stir them? Because that's where it's going to begin. You're not going to stir anybody up to love and good works lest you change the way you're thinking about them first. Because if you don't change the way you're thinking about them, you're not going to change the way you speak about them. You're not going to change the way you speak to them. So you've got to begin to change the way that you think about your brothers and sisters. Practice this in life group. Ask God to change the way you think about your brothers and sisters. And then ask God the question, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do in order to draw out of these people what you have put in them? How do I stir them up to love and to good works? So we're pouring the spirit out on one another. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5 have much of the same things uh, in them. They're, they're, they're great to read in, uh, in tandem. Do we have Colossians chapter 3 for the screen? Okay, I didn't, I didn't remember if I put that one in. 
Okay, so let's do, uh, just look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Check it out. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So check that out again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be full of the Spirit, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. The discipline of community worship has direct impact on how we pour the Spirit out on one another. And it's not a selfish act. It is not a selfish act. So I want you to consider in just a moment, I want you to consider what it would look like for you to go and worship full of the Spirit on behalf of somebody else in that room. Now, here's what I, let me draw you back to, go back to Ephesians. I need to show some people something. This is just for a select few of you in the room. But this is, this has deeply encouraged me. This is, this is not for the Samanthas who open their mouth and beautiful melodies come out. This is for people like me. Okay, verse 19. So for all of you that were like, yeah, okay, except, except for I can't sing. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. Where? Yeah, you all qualify. <laughs> singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is a heart condition. Now you better be singing out loud. <laughs> you better be singing as loud as your heart beats to the rhythm of whatever we're singing. But this is not corporate. Uh, the discipline of worship in community is not about how we sound. It's about how we're positioned in front of the Lord. That's the beauty of it. That is the beauty of it. I, you could ask my wife. Ask my wife who sings beautifully, uh, just got one of these wonderful voices, and, uh, and she's, bless her heart, <laughs> married to me. <laughs> and I want to tell you, in our, our home, if I'm singing, it does not encourage an atmosphere of proper singing. And recently, Lindsay's quite pregnant, and we're due in August, and uh, so she used to, what the tradition was, was that Lindsay would hold, uh, we'd put the kids to bed, Shiloh would lay down, Lindsay would hold uh, Abby Kate, and I loved it, because I would step out of the room, and Lindsay would just sing to them, okay? Well, now, because it's, you know, she doesn't need to be carrying Abby around all the time, and Abby's gotten quite a bit larger, and, uh, and, and Lindsay doesn't need to be old, so I've taken over the duty. Oh, poor kids. They hadn't been sleeping well for the last few months. I don't know why. But, but, so, but, here, but here's the deal, and I had to get over it, because I started singing, and I'm holding, I'm holding my sweet girl, and I'm, and I'm singing, and I know how I sing. If you've stood next to me, that's why I sit in the front row, because only Blake can hear, and if he says anything, he's in trouble, right? I know how I sing, and I'm praying, God, please protect my baby girl from learning melody from her father. But here's the deal. But I'm confident that if I will be a dad who, full of the Spirit, sings over his children, it won't matter the way that it comes out of my mouth, but they'll hear the Spirit of the Lord. 
And I'm convinced it's the same in our midst. I'm convinced it's the same that if you will get over yourself and quit making worship a selfish act, if you will get caught up in the words, if you will, if you will lose yourself in what you're singing to God, and if you will allow what's in you to erupt out of you, it won't matter what you sound like because what's gonna be coming out as a group is a body of people submitted to the Spirit of God, and it will be a phenomenally powerful sound that I'm convinced will change a city. I believe this is one of the tenets of revival. Confession and prayer are one huge piece, and worship is the other one. I believe that the groundwork of revival is laid in prayer, confession, and worship. And if we will worship and address one another full of the Spirit, uh, I believe it will change things. So I want you to consider that. This is one of those, okay, I'm finished talking, now you go do it. We're, I mean, 15 minutes from now, you're gonna see, we're going to sing together. And you've got a choice. You can sing selfishly. You can go, I don't know the words to that song. I don't. Or you can determine right now, just as you walk to the room, to go, God, fill me with your spirit. God, fill me with your spirit. Because I know somebody needs to hear what we're about to sing. And I want to be part of, us, of having your presence in the room. And consider what that would look like. We're also going to sing on Tuesday night. If you've ever come to a live group, man, this was a learning curve, especially for the guys group. You should have seen the guys' leaders when I told them we are going to sing together. They are like, so what do you mean? <laughs> the very first time we did this, guys were going to sit around and we're going to sing together. Okay, yeah, but what, what is, so what do you mean? We're going to sing together. Yeah, but how do you mean? <laughs> Well, like with your mouth, you're going to sing. I don't know how to sing. I don't know how to explain it. Okay, but how, so what, so someone else is going to, you know, it's like, they don't want to do it. We've had some really cool moments in life. We've gotten over the, the, the strangeness of singing it. Man, we had some really cool moments in life group where the Lord has broken through in song. We've seen it in discipleship school the same. You were part of discipleship school. We sing every week in discipleship school. And we've had some cool, cool, cool moments. That song that's been very powerful, probably all over the country, but certainly here, is that song, It's Your Breath in My Lungs. What's that song called? Great Are You, Lord. Uh, we, had that, we played that song three times in a row in discipleship school because the Lord just kept doing stuff in that song. And uh, where's Ethel? Ethel was in the room and test, you, you were there, testified to uh, what happened uh, that night. God spoke deeply to, to Ethel. It was just a cool, cool night. And it happened because... We all, full of the Spirit, sang to the Lord. And, and it, uh, the Lord just did stuff in that song. So I want you to consider what it looks like to stir one another up, addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. God, help us to do this. Forgive us, Father, because we are so stinking selfish sometimes. I just confess it, just even, even myself. Man, I, sometimes I come into our time together and I, my mind is in a thousand different places and the last thing I want to do is submit to you in song. God, I pray that you would break us of our selfishness. God, I pray that you would impact us deeply by singing together. I pray that we would see how important it is Paul stresses over and over to do this, to address one another in this way, to be full of the Spirit and to sing. And the psalm says, come into the Lord's presence with singing. And so we value your presence, God. What about your presence would not bring song to our lips? You have saved us. 
You have redeemed us from the pit of hell. You have brought us to life. You didn't just do that, but then you filled us with your presence and your spirit. You tore the veil and said, come in to my presence. Come in and know me. By grace, you're saved. Why would we not sing? So God, I just pray that you'd fill us with your spirit and that we would sing. And that the song that you put in us would bring your kingdom in Nacogdoches. Bring your kingdom at Fredonia Hill. We ask for those that come in the doors that are broken. We ask for them to be overcome by the power of your spirit as we sing. We pray for your power and your love to make themselves known as we sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.